Hi, and welcome to Everything's Political Podcast. I'm your host, Junius Williams, and we're here talking about something that we decided to do this season called Where's the Money? Some of you who might go back as long as I go back, you remember that song? Where's the money? Your daddy would know that, Mayor Baraka. And so would yours, Miss Shamanique. But this has nothing to do with that kind of expression of cultural gratitude, let's say. Nothing's more political than money. We all know that. But that's usually associated with the people with the big bucks, the 1%. But here we're talking about what can we do to make our world go round? What are the prospects of the acquisition and use of some money to make life a little better for some people? And that's why we have today Mayor Raz Baraka, Mayor of Newark, New Jersey, and Miss Shamanique Jones, longtime friend of mine, because she just happens to have been in a group that I formed called the Youth Media Symposium. So we go back. As well as my co-host, who's always there behind the scenes, but also in the front of the scene, Francesca Larson from Mosaic Strategies. So how's everybody doing? Well. Good, thank you. Great. We're going to start this conversation. We're talking about guaranteed income. That's the chapter we want to deal with today. And this has to do with the mayor's new movement for economic equity. And this is one of the square pieces that he has on the table for people. Can you tell us a little bit about that program, Mayor? Sure. Thank you, uh, Junius. It is part of a larger Mayors for Guaranteed Income pilot that started throughout this country. It was started actually in Stockton, California, by Mayor Tubbs when he was the mayor. Uh, He called on an initial group of mayors to be a part of that with him. I joined very early, one of the founding mayors actually, with a few others who decided that this is what we were going to do to actually make these things happen. And so we embarked upon that. I think it took us maybe a year of talking to kind of local nonprofits and other folks that deal in this space to get the, you know, what the program design would look like. And right now we give $6,000 to about 430 people in the city of Newark. I think half of those people get $250 every two weeks. The other half get about, get $3,000 twice a year in payments. And we, and the only thing they have to agree to is be a part of the study. We also have a control group that didn't get any money that we could kind of base our assessments on when, when it's over. We have a IRB or research institution that is doing this information for us, that is gathering the data and putting it out for us. So it's not just us doing it. So it's very scientific to get us the information that we need to help us push for this in a larger way in the nation, in the state and in the nation. That's why all these mayors are in it. So I understand now it's up to about 100 mayors that are participating. That's right. It's about 100 mayors across the country that are part of this. One other mayor in New Jersey, actually, the mayor of Patterson, Andre Say, is also a part of this in New Jersey. But they're, they're mayors all over the country who are from the South to the Midwest to the West who are involved in this. And what is your pool of money like? 
we got a lot. We used some of the money from all of the dollars that made themselves available during the pandemic. And we have some philanthropic dollars in it as well. And so right now we have money for about what we do, 430 people. We did 30 in the initial pilot. Then we just added an additional 40, 400, excuse me, after that. You know, obviously we want to be able to do this for as many people in the city as possible, but you know, the city budget, well, can't support that. So we have to figure out ways that the state and federal government can do this. And we think that it's possible the same way folks were getting these stimulus checks that I think that they should go and be going to people that need it, guarantee income. We talking about for people who need it, not like universal basic income, which is different. That's everybody in the country gets a little bit of something. And maybe we'll get to that one day, but guaranteed income is for folks who we say need the money, unfettered and uninterrupted kind of cash that has no limits on it, meaning no restrictions, I should say, on how you should spend the money, which people run into when they get into other social safety net programs. They run into all of these issues of what they can spend money on and what they can't spend money on. Even us giving them this money jeopardizes some of those other programs. And so we have to be careful who we pick and how we get them through this, because they may lose one of those programs if they decide to be a part of this. How long will this particular program last as you have it now structured? It's for two years. So I think people have another year. So it's about two years that we're doing this. Or maybe my time is a little back, but I know it's a two-year program altogether that we're doing this for. And at the end of it, you know, as the mayor of Stockton, the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, Chokwe came up with their findings, we'll add ours to everybody else. And we, there's a national organization that is pushing on a federal level to get this as a permanent program for residents of this country. How will you know if the program is successful and how are you going to measure that? Well, the IRB, I think is successful now. The IRB, and based on what we, the findings is, Basically, people's well-being will determine that, like their emotional well-being, their physical well-being, their ability to move out of dire and emergency circumstances where they have lost their home or lost their apartment for the most part, or they're still food insecure and all these other kind of issues. You know, most of the people are spending the money exactly on those things that we thought they would and not what conservatives who were opposed to this believed that they would be spending money on, right? So most people are spending money on rent and groceries and you know, furthering their education and children's uniforms, stuff like that. So we have that data and we have storytelling from people who tell us how their lives have changed from just a little bit of money that they have access to, where people aren't beating them overhead for all kinds of things that they have to turn in or submit or they can't spend this. You only can buy milk. You can't buy this. <laughs> you can't, you know, pay your child's tuition, you know, but you can buy eggs, you know. You only can buy this brand of sneaker. I don't know. But, you know, we took all of those off, and I think that that, you know, relieves a lot of stress. Shamini Jones. Yes, sir. You've been listening to the mayor. First, let me say a little bit about this young lady. She came to my attention much earlier when she was still in high school. I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but it's been a few years. I think I was 15. You were 15? Yes. Okay. So that's when we first saw this young lady and kind of put a spotlight on her because she was bright, but she was, in addition to that, she was articulate. 
And that's what we wanted them to do in the uh, youth media symposium. We wanted them to be able to talk about themselves and to understand who they are and to let people know that they have something to say and that they are worth listening to. And Shamini Jones has always been like that. I'm fortunate. I'm happy you chose her, Mayor. I meant to ask you before I talked to her, how did you go about selecting people? Well, I, I didn't select anybody. Okay. <laughs> so how long did your people? They went through a whole interview, another kind of program with a third party group. So it's really the luck of the draw. And I guess Shamanique and the stuff that she said and presented to them that made her a good candidate. Maybe she could talk well because she learned that from you guys, brother. <laughs> she knew that before we got her. We just added to it. But uh, yes, Shamanique, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who is Shamanique Jones? My name is Shamanique Jones. I'm 33. I'm a Newark native. I come from the West Ward. I was born and raised in Ivy Hill. I'm a mother of four. I'm a daughter. I'm a big sister. I'm the oldest of three. I graduated from Arts High School. I love my city. This city means everything to me because this city raised me and it's how I became who I am and everything about me. It kind of resembles things that I've learned within my city. I have a passion for outreach and a passion to help people. And I just love giving back. And I'm I'm grateful to be a part of this opportunity. What made you apply for this grant? Well, someone posted the grant on Facebook. And when they posted the grant on Facebook, it was incredible. Someone that I knew was a, someone that it had to be a real program because they wouldn't be posting it if it wasn't. And then I was invited to a Zoom call. And in the Zoom call, the lady kind of laid out everything about the program. And it was very genuine. And she was just big on that. There were really no strings attached. And I, there was a need and um, I needed it at the time. And I'm a believer. And the Bible says that signs and wonders shall follow you. And this was a sign for me. And I was expecting wonders. I was excited. I was I was sold. And we just I had to go through. It wasn't much. We had to get up and we had to do a little a questionnaire. And, you know, the rest is history. So I couldn't lose. What did you expect? that you had to do in order to get this grant? I didn't know what to expect. I just knew that it was something that I needed. And I was intrigued by there actually being a program like this that existed. And um, I shared and um, before that I was sick and I went to apply for social security multiple times and I was denied. So a couple of days after I was denied for at least the fifth time, this program presented itself. And when it presented itself, I said, hey, God, is that you? And when I saw it, I was like, you know, well, you know, what can I lose? Let me let me sign up for the program. And I don't regret it. And a lot of people I know who, you know, we all knew about it because I shared it with people, but they didn't get up. And I actually got up later than I wanted to get up. And I was like, you know, listen, the worst that could happen is that I get denied. But the best that could happen is that I get approved. That's an incredible story. <laughs> that is the timing. How has the money helped you? How has that extra money helped you in your day-to-day life? Well, I have four kids. And um, I think that every mother's dream is that, you know, we want to have a comfortable environment for our children. What I realized is that the money affected my mental health more than I expected it. 
when you have fi- financial burdens, these things rent space in your mind. And you can't possibly be an effective parent. You can't possibly be an effective, you know, person when you have these things that are constantly the barriers that are in your head that I can't make this bill and I can't do that. So when the money presented itself, I realized that, you know, I didn't go through the winter depression and things that I normally went through, that these things were taken care of, which made me a better mother because when you're mentally healthy, it helps you in your productive process. It helps you be more productive in life. So it opened up the creative me. You know, it opened up the me that that had perspective. It gave me hope. I did not expect in this conversation that the first through line between Mayor Baraka and yourself was going to be mental health. It was one of the first things, Mayor, that you talked about was emotional well-being. And for Shamanique, coming up in a conversation talking about mental health when this is frequently a financial conversation. And it feels really good that we're having a conversation about the health of our community, the health of our people, and that also started with our mental health too. I appreciate you sharing that. It says something, and I don't want to take that for granted. The mayor talked a moment about the overall mental health and you shared personally. And that's something that reflects just not on you, but it says a statement to all of our community that we're here to have that conversation. Well, I explained that I have four kids and um, they happen to be, they started off as my mentees and now they're my um, godchildren. So I'm like their mom and I've been their mom for like the past eight years, but I grew up in a house and I'm raising them in a one bedroom and I changed my living room into their room. But one of the things that I pride myself on is if I can't offer them everything that I have, then what I I have to offer them at least me being mentally healthy. I need to be able to be present in everything that they're going through. But when you're dealing with financial battles and you feel like you're the last stop and you may fail them as well, that thing will mess you up. So when the money came, it was like, okay, these things are taken care of. And now I can be really present in this process and not allow the barriers that I'm facing physically and financially to affect my mental. So like I said, I say the program saved my life. And some may say that that's dramatic, but I don't believe it is. Mayor Baraka, back in December, I happened to go to something called the Newark Resident Storytellers Pinning Ceremony which is an outgrowth of this effort. Uh, you not only said, well, here, take some money, but you gave people an opportunity to discover some more things about themselves. What was the thinking on that? Well, I think most of that stuff happened organically too, but we needed folks to tell the story. And that's really what the necessity of it, you know, which is the mother of invention. We needed people to tell the story of being in this program because the stories that's being told are counter to what we know is right and real on the national scene, which prevents us from being able to do this work. And people who are telling it are not close to it or close enough to it in order to tell it in a way that has impact. As you can see, as Shamanique is telling her story, it is more impactful than it would be for some democratic operative or some political, you know, point person to tell this story. So we needed the folks that are actually involved in it to tell it. And so creating an opportunity for them to do that in an artistic way and helping them discover their own voice so they can actually do it. And, you know, 
why that's necessary, Junius. And once you help people discover their voice, they can tell the story without being prompted. And uh, that's the more authentic way we want to get this done. There's 77, almost 80% of the people in this program are women. And most of them are single women with children. In fact, two thirds of the participants have children. So you're talking about a majority, overwhelming majority of black and brown women with children who are trying to navigate this system. And you know what the narrative is about black and brown women who are receiving government assistance. And it's been that way for 40, 50 years or so. So this changes the narrative altogether. These are working people trying to find school, you know, trying to find opportunities for themselves, for their children, feed their families, all of this stuff. And I think it just does a lot for public policy to have people talk this way and have the right people do it. And you have some good people involved in all aspects of this program and making it work. This particular program and all the work that was done was was done under the administrative overview of my good friend, Kalina Berriman. This was a program that she put together and invited other people in. And, and one person I know that she invited in was my wife, Antoinette Ellis Williams, who was in charge of the poetry aspect of this program. See so you shaking your head, nodding your head. Shamanique, can you tell us what you learned from that aspect of participation? I think that the storytelling program personalized. It made it personal. We were able to talk about the intimacy part and the aspect of how the program helped us or, you know, being how growing up in the city and kind of bridged the gap between the not just the face that you see, but the personalization of it, how how it affects us. And I think that people, um, they go with things that resonate with them. So when you have us, when we're able to tell our stories and we listen to how it affected me differently than it affected someone else, like a male, and how it affected another female the same way, and how we all had different obstacles and barriers, but the program helped us, but the money helped us in a different way. And I, th- I just, it was enlightening to me because here I am thinking that, you know, I'm the only one going through something. And I was able to be amongst people that also was going through things and see how the money affected them as well. Here's some of the things I heard when I was there, when I witnessed this particular program. And by the way, it wasn't just poetry as a medium through which this uh, storytelling was done but also photography. So here's some of the things I heard as I listened. People said it was transformative. Step outside yourself. People said it was challenging. Doing something you didn't know you could do before. I'm talking about this particular storytelling process. It was discovery. Tell me how many of these words resonate with you, Shamanique. Finding new metaphors about yourself. A way to seek help seed planting it was definitely more mentally intriguing than i thought it would be so they had a whole curriculum so if you got there and you thought that you came to not do anything it was not that type of program that curriculum you know you couldn't be a part of one portion you had to be a part of the whole 
portion. And Dr. Ellis is no joke. She was tough, you know. She wanted her stuff, and she knew what she was capable of. So you couldn't just hand in anything. You had to hand in something that said that it was you. So she, we learned about personalities. It was an intimate setting. I love that it wasn't a lot of us. It was an intimate setting, and we were able to talk about our personalities and our strengths and our weaknesses. And there was times when we were crying. And there are times when we were laughing and there were people from different cultures. We did a um, icebreaker where we got to go around and talk to each other and just, and she didn't team us up with nobody we knew. And matter of fact, it was like back in third grade, she was like, yeah, you with you, you with you. So, you know, we couldn't pick and choose who we wanted to team up with. But what I learned is that, you know, the beauty in hearing other people's background and some people who aren't natives in North and how they made it here. And some of them were immigrants and it was just an amazing experience. And I think Mayor Baraka came at the end and he briefly spoke with one of the things that he said is it's okay to take care of your self-care. So, you know, with the money, you kind of feel guilty with the self-care care portion. And he said, it's all right to do something that will help you mentally. It's okay to invest in something that will help your mental. And that's the one of the things that I battled with because everything with me was being a mother. I got to be a mother. I got to do for the kids. I got to make sure that I don't fail the kids. But when he opened that door that says that you can do things that will help you as well and that'll help build you up. And then I realized that I can't be no good to them if I'm no good to myself. So it was amazing. The whole experience was amazing. Did you think all of this was going to come out of your idea, Mayor? Not really. I just, I knew that it would help people and that's what we wanted to do. And I know that the pushback that we were getting were from, you know, racists and people who were narrow-minded and conservatives who believe that we were giving people money to do nothing or people who thought that, you know, all of the stuff that we, that people that were telling us not to do this were, were some of the reasons why I knew it should be done. And um, throughout history, people have been saying, you know, whether it was Martin Luther King, you know, or folks like that saying, listen, we need guaranteed income. And it's very, very, very real in these communities that people need that. And it's not a lot of money that we're talking about. So I do know that giving people opportunity to take care of some of the things that they need to take care of, that they stress about every single day, will provide for a well-being that is sometimes incalculable, right? We can't really put our finger materially on what that's going to do for people's lives. And I, I knew that part would eventually come out. And that's why they need to tell these stories, because I can't tell the stories the way they can tell their stories. And I consider myself a little articulate, so they can tell a story better than me of what they're going through and what they need more than anything. And hopefully these stories resonate, you know, statewide, nationally, where folks begin to say, this is what we should be doing. Spending money on the front end instead of spending money on the back end, which is we're spending the money anyway. We're spending the money for all kinds of things, whether it's crime or healthcare or housing or other kind of issues, as opposed to taking care of people's well-being in the front and giving them the support that they need. It's probably cheaper in the front end as well. What's it going to take to put all of this on the stage so that the federal and state decision makers can decide to move in this direction? I think the organization Marriage for Guaranteed Income, we have a whole bunch of partners that are pushing the policy piece. I think when the more we more mayors actually do it, actually have a pilot and make it happen, and we are able to tell our stories in a collective fashion, I think it begins to have the impact. You have 100 mayors doing this. On a national level, it'll begin to have an impact. You know, people begin to talk about what's going on. 
and it'll get us to be able to push what's happening. On the state side, just the work that we're doing here between us and Patterson and the work there, it'll at least get us opportunities to force people to expand, earn income tax credit, expand child tax credits, uh, various programs they had, and begin to take some of the uh, barriers off of some of the programs that we have now, begin to move some of those things so more people have access to it, and that when they do have access to it, there are less restrictions on what they can actually do with it. Because there's opportunities to make this thing happen in the state the way it's not happening now for more families and to do it in a way where it's not restrictive. So we think we can affect policy on a state that way. Why not just go out and say, well, we want more welfare for people. That's already a program. I'm just playing devil's advocate now. No, no, I get it. I don't never advocate for the devil, brother. But (laughs) I'm going to tell you this. At the end of the day, that's what we're talking about. Like, so those programs are very restrictive programs and they're not, you know, a lot of people can't get access to that either. And they're very restrictive. And so we're not talking about replacing the social safety net as it exists, right? We want that to continue. As a matter of fact, some of that stuff is necessary. I think it is counterproductive for us to create this program and say, oh, now we're going to take that away because that's what people are proposing. And that's not what we're proposing. We're proposing that we give people access to cash in their house uninterrupted, flexible opportunity to spend the money in a way that they see fit for their household. The same way we're doing with stimulus dollars that are being sent out to stimulate the economy, that that should continue in a very focused way to specific residents of this country who need it the most, as well as a way to give money to folks that are in our community that are undocumented as well. We can find ways to get money. One, it helps the economy. There's evidence and proof that it helps our economy. Our local economy definitely is affected by this in a very immediate way because people are spending their cash. They're not putting it in a shoebox. They're not putting it in, in their backyard or in the back of their mattress. Like, you know, back in the days, they're actually spending it immediately. And it's improving people's well-being, getting them engaged more. And I think it's helping parents take care of their children and helping people find jobs and all kinds of other things that gets people engaged in the economy at the same time. So there's a lot of benefits to this, some immediate ones and some supplemental benefits that happen because of this. And we want people to tell that story so we can see it. Mayor Baraka, you just mentioned the supplemental benefits that have come from going through this program. And Shamanique, I feel like you repeated one of them a few times, which was, hey, I can also take care of myself. And self-care is really important. And I feel like that's one of those benefits of moms hearing that message, moms like you, moms like me hearing that message, that isn't something that I'm ever going to see directly in a piece of legislation. So to the both of you, how do we keep that? He gave us permission. That resonated with me. He gave us permission. He said that it's okay to live a quality life and um, don't feel bad for living a quality life. And it's crazy because out of his whole speech, that's what resonated with me the most is that it's okay to live a quality life. One of the things that I did with my money is I paid the rest of my school tuition that I owe so that I can go back to school. So that's been a barrier over my head for years, being able to give the money so that I can go back to school and become what I want to become. So that was big for me because there was a point in my life where it's kind of like, am I who you said I was? Am I really called for this? Is the purpose that you said 
path of my life, everything that has been instilled in me since I met JW at 14 and I was 15 years old trying to do a conference that was bigger than me. But it's still, these are the things that that's, that's my passion is what I want to do. So I started to question that, those things. So being able to go back to school is exciting for me and being able to just become, and the program helped me to do that. This has been a barrier over my head for years. And, you know, they're saying that you owe this balance and you can't come back to our establishment unless you pay this balance. Plus, I think people should, I'd said it was okay for people to go on vacation. You know, rich people think vacation is only uh, like assigned to them. People with a little bit of money, like you get an opportunity to, to take a breather. And vacation for folks might be the beach or down south. And because these people go on these, people go on these luxurious vacations, they got that in their mind. So vacation might be, I want to go down south. I want to go to Florida. I want to go see my family. Or I want to go to Long Branch and hang out at the beach with my children all day one Saturday. And people should be able to do that. And it improves the quality of your life personally and in your household. So that has immediate benefits for my community. So those, those are the, you know, those, those are immediate benefits for me. I, want, I wish all these kids could go to the beach in the summertime. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and hang out for a couple of days. And believe it or not, the kids know it. They know when you're healthier. They see it. They might know not know the how or the what, but they know yeah. that mommy's healthier than she normally is. That is something that's different about this Christmas. There's something that's different. We got new uniforms in October. And you know, you get a little you uh, hot water when you get to November. And they realize that we're getting uniforms in the middle, right in the middle of the cycle. And these are things that don't normally happen. So they know it. And you know, this is the, they're our future. Yeah. You said something earlier, Shamanique, where you said, this program saved my life. And I think the story that we're going to be hearing a few years from now is the kids talking about how this program saved their lives, too. Absolutely. And that's that's incredible. And I was raised on this idea of giving and it coming back full circle. So when Social Security said no, and I was like, oh, wow, you know. And so when the program presented itself and Mayor, Mayor Baraka also was one of the brains behind the program, I said that it resonated with me as well, because this is somebody that. You know, this is a tangible person that we watched growing up, right? And he said, when I become mayor, you become mayor too. So I got to watch him put the passion behind it and really say that, you know, and there's no strings attached. The program really has, we besides the questionnaire, that was it. You know, they sent us emails and they said, you can participate in this, but you don't have to if you don't want to. So it really wasn't a lot of strings attached. There was no yellow, no backdoor pages or anything. And I'm just truly appreciative. It saved my life because it saved my mental health. And because it saved my mental health, I can pay it forward when I get into a better position. And I say, when? This is the year of manifestation. And I expect to pay it forward. Do you talk to any of the other recipients? Can you tell me? some of the other experiences people have shared with you? I actually have a family member that is one of the other recipients and she also has four kids and she also has a similar story like mine where Christmases were very straight to the point. But I think that the importance of, and it's not just about holidays, it's about the winter and the holiday season 
in itself is cold, it's gloomy, it get dark early. And a lot of people were just talking about how this program just eased their mind a little bit and they were able to provide for their children. So my cousin had the same story. COVID took a lot from us. It took a lot from us. So when we get these days where we're able to commune and come together as a family, it means much more than what it meant before. So, you know, everybody had the most of the people I know who are in the program are mothers. And we talk from the perspective of being a mother and being free mentally and refocusing our focus and being able to have perspective. Well, Mayor Baraka, you're going to have a great legacy going forward. This, in my opinion, is one of your greatest efforts right here. This is your baby. I'm going to give you an opportunity to say the last word on everything's political. Uh, I just thank you for allowing me to be on and talking about this. All of the folks that were involved in it, Kevin Callahan, who did an enormous job putting us on his back and making sure that this actually took place. Hawa, Muhammad, who was involved in engaging this in the very beginning. All of the folks, the nonprofits in Newark that help us think this through and all the participants. I think that the work that we're doing in Newark is going to have a long-term impact on a state and be a part of a larger kind of push around the country. And I'm just glad to be a part of that that effort and that Newark can do its part and making sure we improve people's lives in this country. So that's really it, man. And hopefully people get to see this and it'll be a part of our larger story uh, board to get us on a long march towards the end. We want it to be. We want it to be. So if uh, all minds and hearts are clear, let us just say goodbye to each other until the next time. And uh, we'll see you all next month with another exciting episode of Where's the Money? You can certainly see how this money was well spent. Let's see how some other people did it as well. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Take care. Goodbye. This is Junius Williams, your host on Everything's Political. Everything's Political podcast is sponsored by the Center for Education and Juvenile Justice, and supported by the Terrell Foundation and listeners like you. It is produced by Mosaic Strategies with theme music by Anthony Ant Jackson. Like what you hear? Subscribe to Everything's Political Podcast on Spotify and follow us on Facebook and Instagram for exclusive behind-the-scenes content.